Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Pivot Bio. I encourage you to subscribe to the series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Pivot Bio for sponsoring today's episode. It's time to rethink nitrogen. Pivot Bio Proven replaces nitrogen fertilizer with microbes that adhere to the crop's root system and apply nitrogen each day. 2019 performance report data shows Pivot Bio Proven consistently outperforms synthetic nitrogen fertilizer year over year, providing corn growers improved yields and a more dependable nitrogen supply that isn't lost to the environment. To read the performance report, go to pivotbio.com. For more information on Pivot Bio Proven, text PROVEN to 31313. It's not every day that a feature film about soil makes a debut, but recently that's exactly what happened. What's even more exciting is that many no-till farmer readers are already familiar with some of the stars of the show. Ray Archuleta, Gabe Brown, Chris Nichols, and Alan Savory are amongst the soil health experts that appear in the new film, Kiss the Ground, directed by filmmakers Josh and Rebecca Tickell, who have ag experience of their own. In this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast series, I caught up with Josh and Rebecca to get a little inside scoop about this latest film, which takes a wide-ranging look at regenerative ag practices and how they can be used to help sequester carbon in the soil, reduce greenhouse gases in the environment, and improve the nutrient content of the food we eat. Tune in to hear what they have to say about their experience making the film, the transformational power of regenerative ag practices, why the Commodity Crop Insurance Program is problematic, the efforts to move policy in a new direction to support farmers, and much more. Why don't you each introduce yourselves and then just get into your backgrounds a little bit and then what got you interested in regenerative ag in the first place? Okay. My name is Josh Tickell and I'm a documentary filmmaker. What got me interested in this subject and Rebecca as well to some degree is we've been environmental activists for quite a while. I actually started by driving a veggie van across the country in the 90s, worked on sort of the the biodiesel revolution. And from that point, I've always been interested in finding viable solutions to seemingly impossible environmental problems. I'm Rebecca Patel. I'm um, Josh's wife. And I actually saw Josh driving, driving that veggie van on a day show when I was 16. I, I grew up in Vermont and in show business, actually. And um, so I was very inspired when I saw the veggie van and when I met Josh finally in Los Angeles years later, I was really excited to explore the possibility of making movies with him about the issue, you know, the issues that he was out there working on for years and inspiring people around for years. And so 13 years later, we've made 14 environmental documentary films together. And I think all of the work that we've done up until now, including driving the veggie van, has been to have us work on this film, Kiss the Ground. We made four movies about oil, and now we made a movie about soil. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you an idea what the next gives you an idea of what the next three movies might, <laughs> might be about. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, where are you guys uh, located? We live on a five-acre avocado regenerative farm in Ojai, California, which is north of Los Angeles. Oh, I see. 
Wow. And we turned our old avocado warehouse, our barn, into our movie studio, which is where Kiss the Ground was made. We moved here eight years ago. Did you see the movie We Bought a Zoo? It was kind of like that. Mm. <laughs> okay. It's, it's We Bought a Zoo meets Money Pit. <laughs> it took two months for us to get the water running. But, yeah, yeah we've been here eight years. Um, and that was a big shift for us moving from Venice in Los Angeles, you know, the city to Ojai, which is rural and agricultural. Ah. Um, but we figured it would be the perfect place for us to be able to continue working on our documentary filmmaking um, close enough to L.A., but also an opportunity for us to actually do what the subject of the film is about. Yeah. Wow. So I'm curious about this veggie van. Tell me more about that. Well, this, you, you have to go back to 1997 when this project started. And there was a, a lot of sort of conflict in the Middle East still going on. And uh, I had just come back from a farming internship in Europe and seen farmers growing rapeseed and turning that rapeseed into fuel for diesel engines. And they were doing it in a really interesting way. These, these were Steiner farms. They were small farms, family farms, and they were growing just enough rapeseed to make fuel for their tractor. What's interesting about these farms is they had these farm journals that went back hundreds of years. They could show how much area they had had to grow in order to feed the plow horses versus how much area they had to grow in order to feed literally the tractor. And it was more economical, less land to feed the tractor than it had been to get the plow horses to do the work. So uh, I thought that that was an amazing sustainability experiment, came back to the U.S., researched Rudolf Diesel, uh, ended up, you know, finding some of Diesel's original journals and found that the diesel engine was designed to run on vegetable oil over 100 years ago, designed a machine to make a modern version of that vegetable oil fuel called biodiesel and towed it behind a 1986 Winnebago Lachero, uh, which is a, a French RV, uh, with a diesel engine and did that cross-country journey for two years, was on the Today Show, uh, and all sorts of other media all around the world, and and that started sort of this crazy journey that we've been on ever since. That turned into... You got a big fan, me. <laughs> Not a big van. I, ha- I had a big van. But right. then I got... Anyway, that, that turned into the, uh, a book about biodiesel, and another book about biodiesel, and then that turned into... A, the first movie uh, that I was trying to make called Fuel, mm-hmm. and Rebecca and I met in making that film. Rebecca and I then teamed up. We made that film together at the end of the day. Took that film to Sundance, showed it in the White House, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> wow. And so it was basically letting people know about the biodiesel. That was the point of the veggie van. Exactly. Well, it was, uh-huh. you know, the veggie van was a stunt to grab attention and say there are other ways to make fuel for our vehicles. But it also had a deeply agricultural message, which is this country was founded on Jeffersonian ideals of being able to be self-sufficient with our food. You know, we wanted independence from the British Empire. This is a huge, rich land in terms of our ability to grow. And it just seemed like a no-brainer. Like, why are we going over to the Middle East? We could be growing this stuff and putting it in our engines and not even using it 
right out of the field, but using it for food stuff first. And then, use, you know, I used used cooking oil in the veggie van. So I was recycling a product that had already been used for food. Um, so it was second generation. So it was just a way to open a national conversation about something that at the time people were not speaking about. And it was personal to Josh. I mean, I'm jumping in here, but I mean, he grew up in Louisiana, surrounded by, in an area known as Cancer Alley, surrounded by 150 petrochemical um, facilities. That was a that was a fun trip when you took me home. <laughs> Needs a family. Yeah. It's always nice to visit Cancer Alley, yeah. as they call it. But I think yeah. that that really lit the flame, so to speak, in you to see that there must be a saner, healthier way that we can do this. And that was what inspired me, this idea of like keeping things in the loop, that there's a, you know, there's mm. a things work in a circle. We're not, we can't just continue to extract and expect that we continue to go this way forever. But this concept of that everything can come full circle. And that was really the theme of biodiesel. That was the theme of fuel. And that is certainly the theme of our new film, Kiss the Ground. One of the quotes from the movie that Patricia Arquette says is keep the poop in the loop. And I, it always makes me laugh. And I love that so much because it's this idea that our waste streams aren't really, we need to recontextualize how we view that because it's an energy stream. And so I think there's just a way of thinking um, that we've always been attracted to, this idea that we can really create a, a system. And before we even had the language for regenerative, you know, we call this sustainable, but it really isn't just sustainable. It really, truly is regenerative when you find a way to have the whole system work together. Just, I want to add one thing to all of that, which is, you know, the connection between the veggie van and Kiss the Ground, which is the new film, is agriculture. Here's the thing that really struck me, though, is as I did that veggie van work and got interested in biodiesel and got interested in production agriculture more and more, you know, I got to travel to a lot of farms and mm. meet a lot of farmers. And one thing was consistent everywhere I went in the United States, and that is farm fields were blowing in the wind. You know, the, the dust off the mm -hmm. top of the field was just totally... That was the standard. Farmers were going out of business. You know, farmers were going bust and the fields were turning to dust. And, and when we started to work on the documentary, our camera crew showed up late one night in the middle of Kansas. We drove all, all day and all night to get there. Showed up to this tiny little place, tiny little hotel in the middle of nowhere. The woman took my driver's license across the counter and she looked at it and she goes, California, what in the world are you doing here? And I said, we're making a movie about soil and, and the problems that we're having with soil. She almost left across the desk and kissed me. Like, ah. You need to tell everyone it's blowing the you-know-what out here. Mm. No one knows. And the, and the truth is, unlike the Dust Bowl, where we had an acute crisis, what occurred to me all those years, all those farms, seeing all those farmers struggling, going out of business, is we have had a chronic Dust Bowl. It has been a slow and steady erosion of the fundamental resource of wealth of American society, which is our topsoil. And people misunderstand. They think, well, the wealth of society is the gold in Fort Knox or something. That has nothing to do with the wealth of this nation. And so Kiss the Ground is a direct response to all of those generous people 
who led us onto their land and invited us into their farms and their homes, and who expressed to us the concern over the future of agriculture in this country. And this is, this is the sort of thesis of how we turn it around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting film. It's packed full of really interesting stuff. So much so that I found myself wishing it had been like a series instead of a movie. Did you guys consider doing a series instead by chance? Good news. <laughs> the TV series is in the works. Oh, nice. True, actually. It's in the works. We also have um, a, a two other versions of the Kiss the Ground movie. One that is for schools. It'll be able to be viewed, you know, during, during remote learning, a 42-minute version um, for educational use that will be free to schools around the world and across the U.S. And then also a, a version that's really just about farming that's for farmers that deals with the economics of regenerative ag versus conventional ag. Yeah. And so the version for farmers, how is that going to get out to them? Mostly through farmers groups. Uh, okay. We've had multiple groups with very large consortiums reach out. So we've already got tens of tens of thousands of farmers signed up to yeah. watch that. Okay. And we're also doing um, a thousand film on the farm screenings, drive-ins on farms um, hmm. over the course of the next, well, we were thinking four years, but the sign-ups are happening much quicker than we thought. So it could be sooner <sighs> than that. Wow. Okay. Good. So uh, Ray Archuleta and Gabe Brown, obviously, are very important figures in the movie. And uh, these are guys who our readership are really familiar with. Uh, how did you meet them? And how did you get them involved with the project? Well, they're legends. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, talk, to, talk, to, talk to anyone anywhere in the U.S. in agriculture about soil, and you'll eventually talk about Right, and game. I mean, yeah. they're real heroes. Who wouldn't want to, you know, film them to have to be the, the star of your movie? I mean, they right. really are, I think, such great characters. I mean, they mm. really are in real life. These, like, incredibly interesting people, but their mission is so noble and heroic. So yeah. it's fun to be on the journey with them. That's, we wanted people to be on the journey with them and see what they do. They are very knowledgeable, and, you know, they have the grit. They have the, the real deal in terms of understanding the nuance of how to make a soil-based agriculture system work in many different environments. But, you know, in addition to that, they're, they're charismatic. You know, they're funny. They're, they're, they're very good on camera. Um, and, and I think they're really good teachers. Yeah. And that's what we were looking for with, with characters in the movie. We wanted, we wanted people who weren't just knowledgeable, they were able to impart that knowledge to a general audience. And Absolutely. Ray and Gabe both have that unique ability. Right, definitely. So what was your reaction the first time you went to Gabe Brown's ranch? Did it seem like a really different kind of operation to you than others you've seen? Well, Gabe's funny. You know, I had very little interaction before I showed up at his place. Oh. He sent me a one-line email. <laughs> Be here at 6 a.m. I don't work bankers' hours. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all the information I got. That in the dress. Uh, and, and so, you know, we rolled up, whatever, 6 a.m., and it's still dark and foggy, and he comes rolling up on an ATV and goes, well, you want to get started or what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. Cameras, let's go. <laughs> so the thing is, when... 
when you go to Gabe's place, it doesn't immediately look different than, say, another farm down the road in North Dakota. But once you start taking the tour and you see, oh, this farm is organized like a group of systems that work together as one mm-hmm. big system mm-hmm. versus just one line of, okay, we're going to put inputs here. We're going to till and sow here. We're going to grow there. We're going to water here. We're going to fertilize. And then we're going to, you know, then we're going to combine. We're going to, that's a, that's a linear system. And, and Gabe's farm is like a circle. And so it takes a minute from the ground perspective to understand, oh, this is a polycrop field. This mm-hmm. is then going to be cycled as animal feed. Okay, I see. This is where the cows are now moving over here. Oh, this is where you had the cows last season. You know, you can't just visually like immediately understand what all that stuff is. So it, it took the course of a couple of days of filming and Gabe sort of taking us down to the micro level of the soil, literally in a field with a shovel. And then us going up to the macro level with the drone and being able to look up and look down and look up and look down. After all that, you go, wow, this is a totally different thing that accomplishes more or less the same goal, growing food. Just, mm. a, just a very, very different system. And then some of the footage that you had in the movie from Ray teaching classes to farmers kind of portrayed some of the farmers as really not having a clue about soil health. Um, I'm assuming you were actually in those classrooms. And, uh, you know, was that your actual impression that they really didn't get where Ray was coming from? There's the visual and then there's what's actually going on. So if I always say, like, I'm personally a very stubborn person. It's one of my character flaws. If you look at production agriculture in the U.S., it's like take a group of people and then beat them down with every difficult government program you can ever think of, you know, squeeze them into a system where they're going to have to compete with one another and foreign countries, mm-hmm. and then constantly add weather events, fluctuate the market as much as possible. I mean, just like everything you could do in farming that's difficult is, it, it is such a challenging enterprise that only really tough people go into production agriculture and only very tough people stay in production agriculture. Which is why in the U.S., you know, even though the U.S. Census tells us we have two million farmers, we really only have a million because a million are people like Rebecca and me. We have a five-acre, you know, farm and ranch. This is a hobby enterprise. This is not a production facility, really. So a million of, of the farmers and ranchers are actually in production agriculture. Those million feed the rest of the country. Right. Which is stunning when you think about it. It's less than 0.25% of our population. Uh, and, and we basically do everything we can to run them out of business. So, you know, when somebody like Ray shows up and he's preaching this, you know, microbes and soil science and what you learned in, you know, the, the, your, your land grant university was incorrect about this. And I'm going to save you water and I'm going to save you money. I mean, he, he lays it on so thick in the first 10 minutes <laughs> that you basically, you're waiting for the free toaster. <laughs> that, you know, of course, farmers are going to cross their arms and they're going to be like, oh, another person trying to sell me another bill of goods that ain't going to make, that ain't going to make a, a, 
you know, a hill of beans worth of difference at the end of the day. The difference is what Ray is saying is true. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I was in those classrooms and I've been in the, you know, all the little hotels in the middle of nowhere and the conference centers and followed Ray around for two weeks and all of that. The difference is from the beginning of when we started filming those conversations to the end of the conversation, the end of the conversation is inspiring mm. because after whatever the lecture is, whether it's two hours or it's an all day seminar, it's a two day seminar. That's when you start to see people coming up and going, I want to do this. I'm growing this. How do I deal with this fungus? How do I deal with this issue that I'm having with, you know, pests or with some other form of, of problem? And they get into talking deep shop. And that's when you see, wow, there is nothing unsophisticated about this group of people. There is deep knowledge about these issues, but there are gaps in the knowledge. And what Ray's trying to do is he's trying to fill the gaps. Because sure. once you fill the gap, you see all these new methods of doing the same thing. And that's, that, you know, I saw some truly life-changing, inspiring conversations, uh, which we didn't unfortunately get on camera toward the end of those lectures and mm-hmm. really got, wow, this is, you know, it's tough work being in production agriculture. It's tough work getting this presentation over and over again. And the hardest thing is coming from the background of conventional farming, seeing Ray's presentation and then going, okay, I'm going to take that leap and make that leap of faith. My livelihood, my family's, you know, our legacy, you know, it's a, it's a lot of it's high stakes. I really, really enjoyed the footage with Ray and Gabe and Alan Savory. These are people who have really spent their lives restoring ecosystems. Very inspiring. I do have to take an issue somewhat with the broad generalizations that the movie makes about GMOs and chemicals being toxic or problematic in other ways. You know, with glyphosate, for example, the movie mentions that there have been hundreds of peer-reviewed research papers that suggest a link to cancer, but there have been that many or more that show the exact opposite. So why did you choose not to explain that? I think one has to look at where the science is coming from. And, you know, Terry Gilliam did a great job at sort of looking at how the Monsanto issue has played out in her book, Whitewashed. And what you find in the Monsanto discoveries, you know, they, they produced a million pages of undisclosed documents in the discovery of that trial. And basically, the documents very clearly spell out Monsanto's own science, not third-party science, but their own science, drawing a direct correlation, a causal correlation, like this causes that, of glyphosate and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, that's not third-party science. That's actual Monsanto science. So when you look at that and you go, okay, let's, let's look at who funded the quote-unquote glyphosate is good, it all falls apart. It doesn't hold water. Now, does that mean that, you know, we're saying, God, if you use glyphosate, you'll never be able to do regenerative agriculture? I think people misinterpret that. I think, we, you know, the film advocates for farmers and ranchers to look at a transitional approach. That means you may end up using some of the chemical tools that you were using before. You may end up getting weaned off of them slowly but surely. Um, But I don't think anyone who's realistic about agriculture is like, just just 
stop all this stuff, cold turkey, and do this other thing. But for us, you know, in our research, it's just, you know, it's binary, black and white, what happens with glyphosate and, and what is still happening with that. Unfortunately, that chemical, you know, does not hold up. We'll get back to my conversation with Josh and Rebecca Tickell in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Pivot Bio, for supporting today's episode. It's time to rethink nitrogen. Pivot BioProven replaces nitrogen fertilizer with microbes that adhere to the crop's root system and apply nitrogen each day. 2019 performance report data shows Pivot BioProven consistently outperforms synthetic nitrogen fertilizer year over year, providing corn growers improved yields and a more dependable nitrogen supply that isn't lost to the environment. To read the performance report, go to pivotbio.com. For more information on Pivot BioProven, text PROVEN to 31313. Now let's get back to Josh and Rebecca as they talk about the different ways farmers might look at implementing regenerative ag practices. You know, the farmers that we deal with here at No-Till Farmer are more very concerned about soil. They want to raise their crops in the best way possible. And, you know, they're reducing or eliminating tillage. They're growing covers. And, you know, some are integrating livestock. But obviously, most of them are using chemicals and GMO seed as well. So what's the message that you want them to take away from this movie? The big, the big takeaway is this is not an exclusive movement. It's not an exclusionary movement. It's not, you know, do chemicals or do regeneration. There's a pathway for everyone who's doing any form of agriculture, from, from the garden box in the apartment in New York City to this. There's a transitional pathway for everybody who is involved in agriculture. And that pathway may mean for some starting from scratch and building a regenerative system. For others, it may be, look, I've got 2,500 acres in production. I'm going to play with putting 50 acres into a regenerative system. But however you come in, this is definitively the future because at the end of the day, you're going to produce more calories with less inputs and food that has higher nutritional value. And if we look toward 2050, there's a calorie gap in the world. So how are we going to fill that gap? We've plateaued in terms of quantity of calories per acre versus the amount of chemicals we're putting exponentially more inputs to get the same caloric output. If we're going to close the global calorie gap, we're going to have to put exponentially less inputs and get more out of an acre. And the only way to do that is to build soil. Now, I also just want to chime in and say, you know, as somebody who comes from, you know, generations of farming, and my dad and I have had some lively conversations about this, I'm sure you can imagine. Um <laughs> You know, I think at the end of the day, there's really an opportunity for people who may not agree on some of the details, but I think at the end of the day, there's a commitment to the same thing, which is to grow food, to be stewards of the land, to take care of people, to feed people. Um, and so what an opportunity. I, I think this is a real opportunity for people to work together who may be unlikely partners. Um, you know, to look at how, like, how can we support farmers in thriving and being prosperous? I really think the Kiss the Ground movement is about, the regenerative agriculture movement can be about supporting farmers and getting the attention to this important issue that they need um, and having 
people who aren't in farming begin to have an understanding of how they can support farmers in a new way. You know, and this, this can be a rallying cry to people to get involved and to support their farmers and to have, you know, this movement also move policy in that direction to support farmers in a new way. I think that the long-term um, benefits of this, there's a far outweigh continuing down the path that we're on. And the long-term benefit of creating nutrient-dense food that feeds people and creating a, a stable climate to support the longevity of, of all of this, um, you know, that's something that we can all unify around. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's a real opportunity to bring a lot of money to farmers to help them in this, in this transition. Yeah. I did think that the movie was very much geared toward general consumers and not, not farmers. And it, it did kind of feel like me, to me, like the message was that consumers should be putting pressure on farmers to farm in a certain way. I mean, do you worry at all about encouraging that sort of advocacy by people who, you know, don't necessarily understand all the intricacies of farming or, you know, everything that goes into it? I think what we need is dialogue. You've got very, very, very segregated populations. And you've got one population that, you know, food magically appears on grocery store shelves. And you've got another population that is very involved in the production of that food. And we have some big disconnects in U.S. agriculture. You know, we have less than 5% of production agriculture is dedicated to pulses and vegetables. But Mm -hmm. the USDA tells us two-thirds of our diet should be pulses and vegetables. Why is that? Why are those proportions not the same? You know, why do we import why do we import so much of the quote-unquote healthy food from, from foreign markets? Why are we not able to support a thriving domestic agricultural market in the very things that government and scientists tell us that the body needs the most? I think that there are big questions, big mm-hmm. questions looming. And the only way to get those questions ironed out is to get farmers and consumers in dialogue together. That's a really interesting point, actually, the pulse is not being grown here. I hadn't realized that that little was grown here. Yeah, we, I mean, we go a lot more into that kind of detail in the, in the Kiss the Ground book preceded the movie by a couple of years. So, you know, folks who are really interested in the issue should, should pick up a copy of the book. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, Rebecca and I and the whole Kiss the Ground team, we are 100% pro-farmer, mm-hmm. we're 100% pro-agriculture. We want more people in production agriculture, not less. We want to inspire young people to get involved. You know, one of the biggest issues that farmers face in the U.S. is, is the replacement, replacement numbers. You know, for sure. every three to four farmers that are leaving the farm, we're only getting one new one in. And if we're going to maintain a Jeffersonian ideal of an agricultural backbone in this country, we're going to have to weigh up the number of people farming, which means getting young people re-excited about this, which means ensuring that it's profitable, mm-hmm. not just with a subsidy. And yeah. I have yet to see a balance. I have yet to see a balance sheet for anything other than regeneration that can make this kind of large-scale, two to five thousand acre operation pencil out. And so, you know, maybe there maybe there is some other way. But right now, if you're a young person and you're interested in farming, and I think that's what we're going to need a lot of them because mm-hmm. the average age of a farm in the U.S. is 68 years of age. 
we're going to see a massive amount of people retiring in the next 10 years. Who's going to farm America? What are they going to farm? How are they going to farm it? Those should be top national questions. Mm -hmm. We should all be involved in that dialogue. So one of my big takeaways from the movie was that the ag education system and the federal farm program are basically failing the industry. And that seems like a really massive problem. How do you envision that changing? Well, this will be an unpopular idea. But essentially, you know, if you look at the commodity crop insurance program in the U.S., which is, you know, under the Department of Treasury, what it is designed to do is to, you know, the theory is it is designed to buffer the cyclical nature of weather and markets. That totally makes sense. You know, we should have a system to buffer the insanity, especially of foreign markets, uh, but even domestic markets. And weather is, look, it's not getting more predictable, it's getting less predictable. So yeah, that's a critical instrument. The problem is the way the instrument works today is it is really a profit scheme for confined animal feed production so that meat producers and grocers can profit from meat. And it's not helping meat. We know this because you look at the data and you look at the science and you look at what it's done over the past 25 years, the type of meat that we're producing and the way we're producing it has not engendered health in the American population. So the question becomes, are we going to continue to subsidize a system which at its core puts farmers out of business, denudes the soil of life, and produces unhealthy meat for the American consumer by growing primarily corn and soy as feed? Or are we going to re-engineer that system? And I think this is where consumer pressure is going to be very, 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 is going to be unpredictably large it's going to be unpredictably fast over the next five years. I predict that CAFOs in America will be illegal within 10 years. And when that happens, it will have a cascading effect on the demand and supply side for corn and soy. Because if you begin to graze animals in mass, you totally change the feed dynamic. And if you change the feed dynamic, you change what needs to be grown. And in so doing, you will radically alter the market for these products. So we are going to look at a pretty big agricultural shift, regardless of what happens with CAFOs, just because of the world caloric intake needed by 2050. But I think consumer demand is going to really, really, really end up shifting the commodity crop insurance program, because why do you need to insure corn and soy if you're not feeding it to confined animals? Interesting. Okay. And what about the ag education system, like the land-grant universities? Do you have any insights into, are they making changes in the curriculum to sort of get the, the next generation up to speed on, on soil in a little bit of a more holistic way? I think that there's tremendous interest in this issue. One of the, one of the things that Gabe Brown talks about in the film, which we've seen as well, is if you look at the status of agriculture periodicals 10 years ago, there was very little mention of soil, never mind microbials. So you look at agricultural periodicals today, and soil is front and center. And right. soil health is front and center. And I'm not talking about like, you know, organic grower and that kind of thing. Those magazines are great too. But I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, all mm -hmm. agricultural 
periodicals and even industry, you know, from the tractor periodicals and the, you know, inside industry stuff, soil, 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 soil. So that may or may not have matriculated into the educational system in the land grant universities. Um, But if news and media and interest is any weather vein, uh, and certainly if profitability, future profitability is the weather vein, I'd say that regeneration can be right there on the chalkboard pretty soon. (laughs) So I have one more question about the movie itself. It was very beautifully produced, I thought. You know, a lot of really wonderful footage and some really interesting and engaging animations. I was just wondering, was there a favorite moment in the movie for you? I mean, I'll just speak for me, but my favorite moment really is the moment with Ray in his talk with the farmers. And he's showing the Noah graphic of how when they mm. plant seeds, it draws down the carbon. And then when they harvest, the carbon goes back up into the atmosphere. And when they till, it goes back into the atmosphere, which is so great because that's actually my favorite moment. And this is all about, you know, no till, which is something that, you know, my family has a long history with as well. Um, uh-huh. I think that that is just such a revelation for people when they make that connection that it's like, it's so simple. It's so basic. It's something that we're all connected to. And, you know, it's, it's a cycle that I think people really relate to when they see it and they hear the way that Ray explains it. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's very powerful. That is definitely my favorite part of the film. And he does it with such humor and <laughs> such, you know, he's so nonchalant about it. And it's this epic moment. So yeah. definitely, yeah, I would say hang in there for Ray's big reveal. Yeah, I, I agree with Rebecca. That is, that is by when we put, when we first saw that, you know, I saw that lecture you know, it was impactful. But then when we saw it in the editing room, everyone crowded around the, the screen and everyone just went, whoa, that is a big moment. Because what it shows is, you know, when you're, when you're on an individual field and you're seeing a tractor tilling yeah. uh, or you're seeing no-till, it's impossible to connect that to any kind of planetary thing. But to be able to pull back to that macro scale and see the whole planet and literally see the season of tilling, pulling, you know, pushing so much carbon into the atmosphere with these huge red plumes spread across the screen, you know, from a satellite imaging system, and you go, wow, that is what tilling is doing, you know, or at least it is connected to tilling. It is visually, you know, it's an experience. <laughs> if you've never thought about no-till, you will think about no-till after that season. It is, that is, it is very impactful. It, it really was. I have to agree. That was a really, really powerful moment in the movie. So he did a great yeah. job. You, you, and, you and, all did. And no, thank, thank you. you. I, I know that a lot of, you know, not everybody has Netflix. The film will be available on DVD to pre-order immediately. The DVDs will begin to ship by the end of this year. The DVDs are great. They have the film in 25 different languages as well as the farmer cut and the educational cut are all on that DVD in multiple languages. So uh, that's a way that anyone can get the film and they can get it to friends and family overseas. Uh, And then it will eventually be available on other platforms as well. We're just starting with Netflix and then it'll go to other places. But folks can find out all about that at kissthegroundmovie.com. Great. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate your time, and uh, I'm just really impressed with the movie and uh, everything that you guys are doing. Well, thank you very much. This is such a great subject, and I'm, and I'm so excited to 
you know, be, I, I feel like I've just been on this incredible learning journey over the last seven years as we've been working about on this. And I couldn't have imagined how incredibly awesome and fascinating soil could be. It's yeah. just really, you know, this is, this is where it's at. So I, I know. just, you know, thank you to all of your listeners yeah. who are out there doing the real work. You know, we really honor and know how hard it is. I mean, it's, it's been an incredible eye-opening experience, and I hope everyone else has their eyes opened, too. That's fantastic. Well, thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Sounds good. Have a great day. Thanks to Josh and Rebecca Tickell and the Kiss the Ground team for this conversation about their new movie about no-till, cover crops, and other regenerative ag practices. You can learn more about the movie at kissthegroundmovie.com. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pivot Bio, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.